Well, good evening, church. My name is Josh Carollo. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Proclamation Church, and it is an honor to be with you this evening on our Good Friday service. We're going to be in John chapter 19 this evening. John chapter 19, if you have a Bible there in front of the seat, kind of the seat in front of you. It's going to be on page 905. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Before we read the, the, the entire passage, I, I, you know, as most of you know, if you've ever heard a sermon from me before, you know I like to read the entire passage in its entirety so we get the whole context. And we're going to be reading 30 verses this evening, so verses 1 through 30. It's quite a long section. But as we jump into it, I want you to just hear the context of what's come right before. In John chapter 18, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, one of his students, and Jesus has been arrested in the middle of the night by the officers who work for the religious leaders. Jesus was interrogated by the religious leaders during the night about his teaching, and early in the morning, Jesus was taken by the religious leaders to a man named Pilate, who was governor over that territory for the Roman Empire. Pilate had already questioned Jesus and found Jesus not guilty of any wrongdoing, but in order to satisfy the religious leaders, Jesus is going to be beaten and flogged. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. 
Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Pray with me this evening before we begin the preaching of the word. Our Father, we give you thanks for this passage that we can know in detail what the Lord Jesus went through those last hours so that we can stand in awe of our great King. And we pray that you would use the preaching of your word now to cause us to understand more deeply, our hearts to rejoice more greatly in the love that you have shown. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This evening, you have an outline that you see there in your, in, your, in your handout. And we're going to look at John 19 from three perspectives. Through the hearing of the voice of each perspective. We have the voice of the Jewish religious leaders. We have the voice of Pilate. And finally, the voice of Jesus. So let's begin with the voice of the Jewish religious leaders, point number one. I'm going to need to refer back to John chapter 18, and so there you can see, I'm glad that John chapter 18, John chapter 19 are there in your pew Bible, are kind of next to one another. So when I refer to a verse, you can kind of quickly glance over. So let's look at John chapter 18, verse 30. By hearing the religious leader's voice and what they had to say, the voice of disbelief. So speaking to Pilate, the religious leader said to Pilate, John chapter 18, verse 30, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. The religious leaders accused Jesus of doing evil, but at this point they did not elaborate immediately exactly what they meant. But we do get the elaboration in John chapter 19, verse 7. John chapter 19, verse 7 says, We have a law, and according to that law, he, this is Jesus, ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. For two to three years, Jesus taught openly, and we have many stories about the interactions between the religious leaders and Jesus. And during this time, the religious leaders understood correctly what Jesus had been saying, that Jesus is the Son of God. But even though they understood it correctly, they simply did not believe. And because they did not believe, to them what Jesus had said was evil. 
because he was claiming to be the son of God. And in their minds, it was so evil, in fact, that they hated Jesus for making that claim, and they sought to have Jesus put to death. And so point 1b, you can see the voice of hatred, or the whole voice of vengeance. In John chapter 18, verse 32, the religious leaders say to this to Pilate, at the very beginning of their interaction with him, John chapter 18, verse 32, says, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. From the very beginning of their exchange with Pilate, we know that the goal of the religious leaders is Jesus' death. They want to be rid of him. And after Pilate has Jesus flogged and beaten, Pilate tries to release Jesus because Pilate realizes Jesus has done nothing wrong. Especially it's not something deserving of death. But we see in John chapter 19, verse 6, how the religious leaders respond, right? Crucify him. Crucify him. The religious leaders' hatred of Jesus drove their desire to see Jesus put to death by crucifixion. I think it would be helpful this evening for us to call to mind, to bring to mind what exactly are the religious leaders calling for when they are demanding the crucifixion of Jesus so that we understand the depth of their hatred for him. Why and how would someone normally be crucified? Well, crucifixion was reserved for pirates, for slaves, for political agitators, especially those who were not Roman citizens. They were crucified as an example for others to not follow, as it often involved a humiliating process of being beaten with a whip that had multiple cords on the end of the whip itself, each cord having metal or stone that was sharp. And they would whip the person who was going to be crucified, and it would wrap around them. And those sharp pieces of metal or stone would dig into the skin, and they'd be pulled away. And we would start to get lashes and chunks of skin pulled out of the one who was being beaten. This flogging was significant because it started the blood loss early in the process of crucifixion. The criminal would then be made to carry the beam of the cross where they were going to be crucified. And at this point, the heart is trying to keep up with the muscle activation and the blood loss. You can imagine you're carrying a heavy beam that you're going to be crucified on. You're already having significant blood loss because of being beaten this way. And there's tremendous stress on the organs. The person being crucified would then be stripped naked, have arms and legs bound to the cross, and then their hands and most of the time their feet would be nailed to the cross with a seven-inch nail. And their cross was hoisted about 10 foot into the air, or 10 feet in above the ground for them to be on display for all to see and mock and make fun of. The crucified person was unable to breathe normally unless they pulled themselves up by their crucified hands, but they couldn't hold it long and they would sink back down and they were unable to breathe properly. Just so that the general public could be properly warned, the criminal with which they had, who had been charged, there was written a placard up on the top, and it was nailed to the top of the cross, just above the criminal's head, to signify why this person was being crucified. Death eventually occurred because the criminal's blood circulation was constricted, or because they had organ failure, or because they drowned in their own blood as their lungs filled with blood. It was intended to be a combination of maximum pain, torture, and humiliation. Crucifixion was not simply being put to death. It was suffering and agony until the body eventually gave out and died. 
The only way a person would want someone to suffer that way is if they deeply and truly hated them. And the religious leaders saw Jesus as an evil enemy. They hated him because he claimed to be the son of God. And that deep hatred led to their desire to get rid of Jesus in a horrific, inhumane way, to make a point to anyone else, especially and perhaps because to make the note to Jesus' students that making this claim was unacceptable. Because of their hatred for Jesus, the religious leaders also manipulate Pilate. So point 1C there in your outline. Look with me at John chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. But the, tr- but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Eventually, if, every, excuse me, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When we do not get the outward behavior or the outward response that we want from someone, we as humans, we often resort to using fear and manipulation to get the outward response that we want from them. This is often true of parents, right? Your, your kids do something, they're, they're not doing something they should be doing, you kind of manipulate them or use fear or guilt to kind of bring about the outward behavior. We do this as humans, it's just what we do. The Jewish leaders are so bent on getting rid of Jesus, and yet they realize that Pilate finds no reason to crucify him. And so the Jewish leaders use the age-old technique of fear and manipulation to get their way. They appear, they appeal to the name of Caesar. The Jewish leaders bring into Pilate's mind that Pilate himself is under an authority, Caesar. An authority that can not only end Pilate's career as a governor, but it could also end Pilate's life. The accusation of opposing Caesar is the manipulation that the religious leaders use to provoke Pilate, to provoke fear in Pilate, such that ultimately the Jewish leaders get their way. So we hear clearly the disbelief, the hatred, and the manipulation of the religious leaders in our passage today. And now I want us to turn to Pilate. And I want us to hear the voice of Pilate today. So point number two. The voice of Pilate initially is one of disinterest, but eventually transitions to fear and then to a voice of resignation. So first let's consider the voice of indifference. We're going to skip down in part of our passage here. Um, excuse me, just skip back to John chapter 18 with me. I'm so sorry. John chapter 18, verse number 29. I'm going to start verse 29 and read through verse 31. So Pilate went outside to them, this is the religious leaders, and said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So as Pilate comes on the scene early in the morning, we hear from the beginning that Pilate is somewhat disinterested and indifferent. By saying, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law, Pilate tries to remove himself from the situation and move on with his day. But as soon as the Jews say, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, Pilate at least has to figure out what's going on. He's curious, but it seems like he's still indifferent. Jesus enters Pilate's headquarters, and Pilate begins to question Jesus. And in this first interaction between Pilate and Jesus in John chapter 18, Pilate asks some basic questions to try to understand the situation. But Pilate's posture really is to just move on through the day. He isn't taking the situation seriously. But as we know from the Gospel of Mark, Pilate had a custom that once per year during the Passover, Pilate would release one prisoner 
for the Jews. It was like a goodwill gesture from the Roman Empire to the Jews. So notice in John chapter 18, verse 38, John chapter 18, verse 38, that Pilate goes outside to address, he's not religion, re- addressing the Jewish religious leaders, he's, he's addressing the Jews. Pilate appeals to the larger group of Jews because Pilate realizes that there is no reason to put Jesus to death. So he's asking the Jews, who should I release? But the Jewish religious leaders, they pick up their voice because of their hatred. So Pilate has Jesus flogged, assuming that a flogging would be sufficient for whatever evil Jesus has done. And then we see Jesus mocked by the soldiers in John 19 because because of Jesus being accused of being a king. A purple robe and a crown of thorns was not normally part of the flogging of someone being crucified. But the result is still the same. We hear the voice of Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 4. See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Consistently, Pilate is saying that Jesus is not guilty of anything deserving death. But when the religious leaders see Jesus after he is flogged and humiliated, and when they hear that that Pilate still isn't convinced that Jesus needs to be put to death, they begin to demand Jesus' crucifixion. But Pilate continues to resist until the religious leaders say one item they hadn't yet mentioned. Jesus ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Pilate remained indifferent when Jesus was accused of being a king, but when Pilate hears that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God, Pilate's attitude switches to one of fear. And we see that in John chapter 19, verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate shifts from indifference to fear. And from the Gospel of John, we don't quite know why Pilate became afraid, but what we see is that out of fear, Jesus, or Pilate pulls Jesus back into his headquarters. Right? Let's not imagine a clean Jesus here. Right? Jesus has been flogged, beaten, crown of thorns on the head, purple robe on. Pilate hears he's claimed to be the Son of God. He's like, oh. He pulls him back in the headquarters. Jesus, right? this is not a clean Jesus here. And Pilate questions Jesus again. And Jesus' only response is basically to say that Pilate, to say to Pilate that Pilate wouldn't even have a position of authority if it hadn't been given to him from above. That is not from Caesar, but from God. Pilate is fearful of what will happen to himself. Jesus clearly says that Pilate is guilty of sin, and we see Pilate more adamantly seeking to release Jesus. But because the religious leaders use manipulation on Pilate, Pilate finally gives in and resigns himself to the situation. And so we can see this in John chapter 19, verse 13. The voice of resignation. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Pilate gives in to his own fear and to the manipulation of the Jewish leaders and finally just hands Jesus over to be crucified. He realizes that he is not going to be able to release Jesus. And so Pilate, Pilate authorizes the crucifixion. Yet what we find in John chapter 19 is not the story of a victim. Jesus was not a victim of the religious leader's hatred, nor of Pilate's cowardice. Instead, we hear another voice in John chapter 19, a voice of truth 
a voice of compassion, a voice of humanity, and a voice of victory. So look with me at point number three, the voice of Jesus. During what was the most difficult day of Jesus' life, Jesus did not turn his eyes toward himself, but continued to speak only what the Father wanted him to say. He continued to do only what the Father wanted him to do. The first statement that I want to look at this evening from Jesus is actually found in John chapter 18, verse 36. John chapter 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. You see, this is in response to Pilate's question, saying, are you a king? And Jesus is saying, yes, I'm a king. It's just that Jesus wasn't like a king that Pilate knew. He was a king of a different dimension that Pilate couldn't even comprehend. Jesus is the king of the universe, the one through whom and for whom and to whom all things were created and exist. And yet, Jesus was on trial as an evil criminal. But here, Jesus is speaking truthfully about himself. The second statement I want us to see is John chapter 19, verse 37. Let me see. Excuse me a second. It is not, it is not, not John 1937, excuse me. Okay, 1837, excuse me, John 1837. I was like, that looks a little bit odd. John 1837, excuse me. Jesus says, for this purpose, mm, there we are, yeah, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The Son of God was born as a man, Jesus in order to witness to the truth. Nothing but truth came from Jesus, and yet not everyone listened to him. And Jesus tells us very very plainly, very clearly here in John 18, 37, why it is that not everyone listened to his words. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to the voice of Jesus. The religious leaders who hated and despised Jesus heard the actual voice of Jesus. And they did not believe what he said. Pilate heard the actual voice of Jesus, but did not believe Jesus' words. How scary that would be to have heard his voice and yet not believed. But they didn't believe because it didn't belong to the truth. In addition to Jesus' continuing to testify to the truth, we also hear the voice of compassion as we hear Jesus speak in this story, I want you to hear the voice of compassion this evening from John chapter 19, verse 25, verses 25 to 27. Thanks to everybody who keeps flipping back and forth in your Bible. I apologize. I know it's a big section this evening. John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. But, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, right, think about this, right? He's on the cross, naked, bloodied, bruised, organs giving out, right? He looks out and he sees his mother. 
And he says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Even while on the cross, after having endured all that I described earlier, Jesus continued to act with compassion. He continued to think about others and put others' needs ahead of his own. He's hanging on the cross, naked, after having been flogged and beaten. And if there's ever a time when you're thinking, woe is me, you have a mentality that says, me. This would be the time. But Jesus looks through the blood and through the tears and through the pain, and he sees his own mother, and he's compelled to think about how is his mother going to be provided for after he dies? And we hear the voice of compassion as he makes his final request, which is for his student John. This is the disciple whom he loves, the one from whom we get this gospel. His student John, he's asking him to make sure that he takes care of Jesus' mother because there's coming a time when Jesus will not physically be here on the earth to be able to take care of his own mom. So not only do we hear the voice of compassion, we also hear the voice of humanity. Sometimes we think of Jesus as kind of this superman with a cape on, and we do not consider his humanity. But we see it here on the cross. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Starting in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar, of, a jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. You see the words, I thirst, they reflect the humanity of Jesus. We hear his voice of humanity. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God, born in human flesh. And he was fully man, with needs and desires. The previous several hours was a period of time that Jesus would have had significant blood loss and water loss. And he would have been severely dehydrated. And now we understand why Jesus was physically, he was just thirsty. When we think of Jesus being on the cross, it was an event where the human body was pushed to its physical survival limits. Pushed so far that, like I said earlier, he either died of suffocation or of organ failure. Jesus was fully human. And we see his humanity here in these simple words, I'm thirsty. The last voice that I want us to consider this evening is the voice of victory. And it's hard to see how anyone could see a situation like this of what I described and call it victory. So look with me at John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? What is Jesus referring to when he says, it is finished? The word here could also be translated as, it has been completed. Or it has been accomplished. When Jesus speaks for the last time before his death, by saying it has been completed, we hear that voice of victory. Jesus had lived the perfect life, a life pleasing to God the Father in every way, loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving his neighbor as himself. Jesus fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He resisted temptation, continued to walk in obedience to God, to God the Father, his entire earthly life. And here, here he is in the last few seconds, sounding out the great victory cry, but the victory 
wasn't for himself. It was for humanity. No human ever born has ever been able to please God. And because of that, we all walk on a path that eventually leads to our eternal destruction. Jesus lived the God-honoring life that neither you nor I can ever live. And by doing so, Jesus opened up a second path for humanity. No one thanks God like, they, that he is wor- like he is worthy to be thanked. No one honors God with the honor that he is due. And because of that, we're on a path that leads to eternal destruction. But Jesus' perfect life and death on the cross has opened up a second path, a path that leads to eternal joy and eternal life with God, if we'll believe. And this is why John wrote his gospel. This is what we hear from John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Believe in Jesus. Have life in his name. And walk the path toward God that will lead you to eternal joy. There are many voices calling out to you. Some voices will call you to continue on the path toward eternal destruction, like the voice of indifference toward Jesus, the voice of fear for believing in Jesus, or even the voice of hatred toward Jesus. But only one voice calls you to the path of eternal joy in God that leads to your own victory over sin and death one day, and that voice is the voice of the one who has already conquered sin, the one who has already conquered death by his own death on the cross. It is finished. Praise be to God. It is finished. Praise be to God the Father for loving us so much that he gave his own son to take the punishment for our sin and to provide eternal life for all those who believe in Jesus. Praise God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that tonight we get to celebrate the great victory cry over death, the great victory cry over sin. Because without it, We are doomed, truly, and we thank you, God, that you are a gracious and merciful God. We pray that you would help us tonight to feel the weight a little bit more of the death that Christ died, dying for us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.